Chapter 10 of The Wreck of the Titan, or Futility, by Morgan Robertson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Joe Denoya, Chesterfield, New Jersey. Chapter 10 On the first floor of the London Royal Exchange is a large apartment studded with desks, around and between which surges a hurrying, shouting crowd of brokers, clerks, and messengers. Fringing this apartment are doors and hallways leading to adjacent rooms and offices, and scattered through it are bulletin boards, on which are daily written in duplicate the marine casualties of the world. At one end is a raised platform, sacred to the presence of an important functionary. In the technical language of the city, the apartment is known as the room, and the functionary as the caller, whose business it is to call out in a mighty sing-song voice the names of members wanted at the door, and the bare particulars of Bolton news prior to its being chalked out for reading. It is the headquarters of Lloyd's, the immense association of underwriters, brokers, and shipping men, which beginning with the customers at Edward Lloyd's Coffee House in the latter part of the 17th century, has, retaining his name for a title, developed into a corporation so well-equipped, so splendidly organized and powerful, that kings and ministers of state appeal to it at times for foreign news. Not a master or mate sails under the English flag, but whose record, even to forecastle fights, is tabulated at Lloyd's for the inspection of prospective employers. Not a ship is cast away on any inhabitable coast of the world during underwriters' business hours, but what that mighty sing-song cry announces the event at Lloyd's within 30 minutes. One of the adjoining rooms is known as the chart room. Here can be found, in perfect order and sequence, each on its roller, the newest charts of all nations, with a library of nautical literature describing to the last detail the harbors, lights, rocks, shoals, and sailing directions of every coastline shown on the charts. The tracks of latest storms, the changes of ocean currents, and the whereabouts of derelicts and icebergs. A member at Lloyd's acquires in time a theoretical knowledge of the sea seldom exceeded by the men who navigate it. Another apartment, the captain's room, is given over to joy and refreshment. And still another, the antithesis of the last, is the intelligence office, where anxious ones inquire for and are told the latest news of this and that overdue ship. On the day when the assembled throng of underwriters and brokers had been thrown into an uproarious panic by the crier's announcement that the great Titan was destroyed, and the papers of Europe and America were issuing extras giving the meager details of the arrival at New York of one boatload of her people, this office had been crowded with weeping women and worrying men, who would ask, and remain to ask again, for more news. And when it came... A later cablegram, giving the story of the wreck and the names of the captain, first officer, 
boatswain, seven sailors, and one lady passenger of those of the saved. A feeble old gentleman had raised his voice in a quavering scream, high above the sobbing of women, and said, My daughter-in-law is safe. But where is my son? Where is my son and my grandchild? Then he had hurried away, but was back again the next day, and the next. And when, on the tenth day of waiting and watching, he learned of another boatload of sailors and children arriving at Gibraltar, he shook his head, slowly, muttering, George, George, and left the room. That night, after telegraphing the consul at Gibraltar of his coming, he crossed the channel. In the first tumultuous ride of inquiry, when underwriters had climbed over desks and each other to hear again of the wreck of the Titan, one, the noisiest of all, a corpulent, hook-nosed man with flashing black eyes, had broken away from the crowd and made his way to the captain's room, where, after a draft of brandy, he had seated himself heavily, with a groan that came from his soul. Father Abraham, he muttered, this will ruin me. Others came in, some to drink, some to condole, all to talk. Hard hit, Meyer? asked one. Ten thousand, he answered, gloomily. Serve you right, said another, unkindly. Have more baskets for your eggs. Knew you'd bring up. Though Mr. Meyer's eyes sparkled at this, he said nothing, but drank himself stupid and was assisted home by one of his clerks. From this on, neglecting his business, excepting to occasionally visit the Boltons, he spent his time in the captain's room drinking heavily and bemoaning his luck. On the tenth day, he read with watery eyes, posted on the bulletin below the news of the arrival at Gibraltar of the second boatload of people, the following. Life buoy of Royal Age, London, picked up among wreckage in latitude 4520 north, longitude 5431 west, ship Arctic, Boston, Captain Brand. Oh, my good God, he howled as he rushed toward the captain's room. Poor devil. Poor damn fool of an Israelite, said one observer to another. He covered the whole of the royal age and the biggest junk of the Titan. It'll take his wife's diamonds to settle. Three weeks later, Mr. Meyer was aroused from a brooding lethargy by a crowd of shouting underwriters who rushed into the captain's room, seized him by the shoulders, and hurried him out and up to a Bolton. Read it, Meyer. Read it. What do you think of it? With some difficulty, he read aloud while they watched his face. John Rowland, 
sailor of the Titan with a child passenger, name unknown, on board Peerless, Bath, at Christiansen, Norway. Both dangerously ill. Roland speaks of a ship cut in half night before loss of Titan. What do you make of it, Meyer? Royal age, isn't it? Asked one. Yes, vociferated another. I figured back. Only ship not reported lately. Overdue two months. Was spoken same day, 50 miles east of that iceberg. Sure thing, said others. Nothing said about it in the captain's statement. Looks queer. Well, what of it? said Mr. Meyer, painfully and stupidly. There is a collision clause in Der Titan's policy. I merely pay the money to their steamship company instead of to the Royal Age people. But why did the captain conceal it? they shouted at him. What's his object? Assured against collision suits. Der looks of it, perhaps. Looks bad. Nonsense, Meyer. What's the matter with you? Which one of the lost tribes did you spring from? You're like none of your race. Drinking yourself stupid like a good Christian. I got a thousand on a Titan. And if I'm to pay it, I want to know why. You've got the heaviest risk and the brain to fight for it. You've got to do it. Go home. Straighten up and attend to this. We'll watch Roland till you take hold. We're all caught. They put him in a cab, took him to a Turkish bath, and then home. The next morning, he was at his desk, clear-eyed and clear-headed, and for a few weeks was a busy, scheming man of business. End of chapter 10